0: And here we go for another podcast. I'm super super excited to have Dr. Kevin Vandy from California join us and he is absolute expert on running gait analysis and especially instrumental instrumented uh, gait analysis. And I'm um, Kevin, welcome to the podcast and it's so so nice to have you.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm humbled to be here and uh, hopefully I can, you know, share what I can, but I just appreciate the offer to be here. Thank you.
0: Um, You know, I took a class from you a while back and I was floored by how much knowledge and experience you have in uh, the running tech industry. And before taking your class, I didn't really know how much data we can collect from people running on treadmill and people running outside and how important it is. So we'll, as we go through the podcast, we'll talk more about how important this is for our clients and for the PTs. But first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you practice, what your practice is all about?
1: Yeah, I'd be glad to. I'm a- excited we get to talk about adding tech to rehab uh it's my favorite topic to talk about uh and so that's super exciting but my background um so I grew up uh, in Massachusetts and I was always an athlete growing up and I football was the sport after about eighth grade that I fell in love with and when I was a junior in high school I ended up like most PTs sustaining an injury tore my ACL and um Despite the on-field, the on-field person saying I was just fine and I uh, strained my knee, uh, that that wasn't the case. Tore my ACL, had surgery, made a full recovery at PT. Uh, a year later, tore my meniscus and had another surgery. So I had I uh, had PT thrust upon me as a career. I didn't know what PT is or what they do or anything about it at the time. I knew I loved sports and I knew uh, I love talking about sports. So the coolest experience for me was my PT at the time. Uh, I was with him for a couple of years during all my recovery. One day I was like, what, what exactly do you do? Like, is this your job? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you and I basically just talk about the Red Sox for like an hour. And then you make me do exercises. This sounds kind of fun. It's like, well, it's super fun and you're getting better and I get to help all these other people. So I had never even considered like what the role of a PT was or even what it was at that time. But that experience having been injured and having had to deal with a lot of rehab, you know, 50 plus sessions uh, going through two major knee recoveries told me that there's this place where I don't have to sit behind a desk and I can be active with people. I can help them reach amazing goals. And I get to talk about sports the whole time. I was pretty much sold at that point. Uh, There was nothing else in my mind that I was like, I want to do this. This was it. I originally applied to school to be in business. I applied to many business schools. And I remember at Northeastern, where I went to college, um, I got into business school, and then I called them after my second knee surge, like, "Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to switch into physical therapy school." And like, "Well, we don't allow that." And I was like, "Well, I really want to do it. Are you sure?" And they said, "Okay." So I never had to interview. I kind of came into PT through the back door, if you will. But it was the best decision of my life. I couldn't imagine a better profession. And being where I am now, um, yeah, I think the coolest thing. I say it all the time. As a physical therapist, out of all the healthcare practitioners, we get to spend the most amount of time with our clients, especially in the type of practices we have, where you get to spend you know, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and 15 minutes. You get to spend a lot of time with someone. And instead of the five minutes at your doctor or the five minutes to get an x-ray, you're getting to know someone. And so you're not just making their knee better, or you're not just helping them jump higher. You truly get to be a part of their lives and understand their goals and That, I think, is probably the most unique aspect of what I do and what a physical therapist is. And so that's really shaped how I see myself and my business um, out here in California. Uh, I started it in 2015, but it really came down to uh, can we give people the time they need to tell their story and to explain their goals and explain their frustrations and issues in a way that they feel heard and in a way we can tailor a program specific to them. So that was that was the long version of kind of how I became into the PT world.
0: That is really exciting. And I think a lot of PTs have very, very similar stories, you know, getting through injuries and, and discovering how PT profession is really the best profession there because we get to spend time with our patients. And like you said, we become kind of the life coach of getting them towards what they love to do. So We understand PT profession is really, really big profession. How did you niche down to become the running specific PT? Uh, Was there additional education after your PT school certifications?
1: Yeah, so my my PT school was very heavy in like neuro... Um, so neuroscience and um, exercise prescription. So I I always knew I wanted to work with athletes. At the time, I took, um, at Northeastern, they have something called a co-op education program where after your first year of PT school, you have to apply to a job that you work full-time in whatever industry you're studying. So... If it was business, you would go to uh, like Deloitte and Touche or a big financial firm. If you're a PT, you went to work for a PT practice. And I chose a practice where the owner was a PT for the Red Sox and Bruins at the time. And so that gave me my first uh, experience in working with athletes. They are a different beast. They, uh, you know, stronger, faster, definitely need to be pushed. And that that really enhanced my skill set. But what happened after I tore my ACL, I was I was always someone I liked to lift heavy things. <laughs> so deadlifts, squats, uh, I have in spades, but when it came to endurance, that was an animal I had not uh, I had not tackled at the time. So after my ACL surgery, I decided I had the grand idea that I was going to run a triathlon. And it was probably the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. I remember the first time I took a run, my parents were divorced. I took a run that, you know, was like like point six miles, or like like very short, and I didn't make it. I stopped a bunch. I ended up I ended up finishing it by walking. But that was my first time I ran for the sake of running and not as punishment. But something triggered in me at that point that it's an itch I haven't stopped being able to scratch. Is I fell in love with endurance athletics. So at the time I was in my senior year of high school, I consumed every book I could on running triathlons, on endurance training, on running training. I read Runner's World religiously, checked out books from the library. That, that really was my original passion. And I always say that if you, don't have, if you don't have experience, you don't have a passion behind what you do, it's hard to become invested in it. But if you do have a passion, it's, it becomes magnetic. So you could be passionate about grubworms, And if you're passionate talking to me, I'm going to get excited about it. So I surrounded myself with other runners. I had friends at the time that were in cross country and uh, track, and I just hung out with them, and their passion fed mine. But after after high school, I had my research. Everything I did for school, my reports I wrote was all around running and uh, distance sports. And then from there, I learned that it's a it's a population that gets injured a lot right? 80% of runners on the high end get injured every year. And that hasn't changed for the last 30 years. And so clearly, as rehab professionals, we're not doing a very good job of getting that to go away. And the more I looked at it, the more I saw how much running is a part of people's lives. And it might be where you are, it might be cross-country skiing, it might be another endurance sport. But once you're into something like that, it's not just exercise, it's not just a thing you do, it's part of your life. It's your stress relief, it's your ability to sleep, it gives you confidence, it helps you to push your limits and give yourself just manageable challenges where you're on the edge of your comfort zone and you're really learning about who you are. So all those things for me about running is what fueled my passion to then get into that world and eventually open up a 3D running biomechanics lab.
0: That's that's very, very exciting. So Tell us a little bit about your clinic. What makes your clinic different than a whole bunch of other physical therapy clinics in your area?
1: It's a great question. So in physical therapy, uh, I think as an outsider looking in back, back when I was just uh, you know, doing my ACL rehab, I Once I knew what PT was, I kind of thought it was all the same, that you go, they kind of look at your body issue, you get given some exercises, some bands, you get sent home with like some home program stuff, and that's just rinse and repeat over and over again. And there was a clinician, his name's Chris Powers, he owned a biomechanics lab in Los Angeles. He came to speak at the clinic I was working at at the time, and he showed me that he had this lab with 3D sensors and force plates where you can test jump height and deceleration and change of direction. And he had muscle EMG where you can see how muscles are activated. I had never seen anything like that in my life. Yeah, we had a a biomechanics lab at my school, but unless you were doing research, you just weren't a part of it. So I wasn't exposed, but that was the aha moment for me where I went home to my wife. I knew I wanted to own a business, And I basically said, now I know what type of business I want to own. This is the type of PT practice I want to have. And she had never seen me like with that fire in my eyes. So she's like, all right, what's it going to take? How, you know, how much money is it going to be? What are we going to do? Uh, We had uh, at the time. Three kids were pregnant with our fourth. So that's when I open, end up opening my practice. So you can tell by that it's definitely something that uh, I was passionate about because it's by far the worst time in our family life to open a practice. But gracious, she's the most amazing wife. She allowed me to do it. Um, I knew that's the practice I wanted to have. So in our clinic, we have an instrumented treadmill, which basically has 5,000 pressure sensors in the deck of the treadmill. So every time you take a step, it measures stride width, stride length, landing forces, how hard you hit, cadence, foot pressure. It tracks how your body weight moves through your foot. Literally the coolest treadmill you can ever imagine. Clients love it. We have 3D motion sensors that allows us to see joint angles. So how much your knee bends, how much your foot pronates, how much your trunk bends side to side. So you're able to see literally like a skeleton of you moving. That's a big uh, eye opener for clients. We have muscle EMG where For the most part, when you go to PT, there's usually a muscle that's weak or inactive. The problem is you get given exercises and you don't necessarily know if you're using that muscle or not. And one of the coolest things is when we put on this sensor for clients, they're able to see on a graph whether the muscle is turned on or off and how much it's turned on or off. And that has been a game changer for them to get huge, big wins in the initial part of their rehab because they can actually feel difficult muscles like your glute or your abs or your foot muscles. They can see that in real time and how that uh, is actually activated. So we have that force plates so where you can measure jump height. Literally, it's like a, uh, a data paradise for people who want to add information to movement. And so how we're different, most clinics don't have that. It's a big investment. However, if doctors have MRIs, chiropractors have x-rays, nurses and other medical professionals have lab tests, these are all things that help them see inside the human body. Well, physical therapists are specialists in movement. That's what we analyze. And movement is best tracked via joint angles, forces, and muscle activations. So my soapbox is if you really want to get to the nitty-gritty I'm figuring out a client's problem of figuring out why their issue is happening and you want to see inside the body. This is the tech that allows you to do that. Um, so it's been super fun. We nerd out about it. Luckily we're in the Bay area and there's a lot of engineers and they nerd, nerd out about it too, but it is, um, it's been a total game changer in our ability to get to the root cause of a problem. And even more importantly, to make PT engaging and fun. I think that piece is missed as exercises are hard, especially when you're weak but these this tech allows to make it engaging.
0: And especially when the patient actually see the progress objectively. Um, so here's a question for you, Kevin. If you have a runner that comes in to the clinic, the CU with a needle, for example. How would you approach this runner, let's say an elite runner who's got some hefty goals? How do you structure your evaluation? How would you take him through your treatment plan of care? And how do you know how quickly they're progressing?
1: Yeah, great questions. It's um, you know, running isn't just uh, one foot in front of the uh, the other, it's a lot more than that. There's a mental component to it. Uh, there's goal setting. There's an environmental factors like how much access like up where you guys are. It's hard to run outside at certain times. Um, so there's indoor running. So there's a lot you have to consider. So first off with our evaluation is we got to get to know the person. So we spent about 15 minutes at the beginning of an evaluation asking the normal PT stuff, how much pain do you have, where, how long, what have you tried? But the most important thing is, you know, what are your goals? Like, what are you actually trying to get to? And a lot of times it's not just, I want to be out of pain. It's, I want this pain to go away so that I can hit another PR in my 5K or so that I can qualify for the Boston Marathon. There's always a a deeper goal behind whatever it is they originally came in for. So that's that's the big piece, number one, is spend the time up front to be able to learn what they actually want. Because some people don't actually want performance. They literally just want to learn how to run better. So it uh, doesn't feel like you're jamming your foot through the pavement. It feels more comfortable. You don't know what that is till you ask them. And then you also have to ask questions like, okay, how, what's your normal cadence? How many miles do you run a week? You have to ask running specific questions. It's a different population. But from there, and this is where we've had a lot of success in our practice, is we let the data speak for itself. So instead of us going right into physical therapy testing or movement testing where we could bias our decision-making process of what the issue is, we put on the 3D sensors and we have them run uh, both our long, slow distance pace and race pace on the treadmill. And then we go through that data with them. And because it's our first time going through the data, we sit side by side and we break down each phase of running gait. So initial contact, peak loading, and terminal stance. And from that, we're able to pinpoint the key pieces of movement data that is related to their problem. And that's a big eye opening experience for runners because most of them have either had a run recorded with an iPhone or an iPad, and it's been uh, seeing some of the big pieces, I'll call it. So, whether it be trunk lean or overstride, but people who've had problems for a long time that haven't been able to be figured out by another practitioner or you're trying to shave a few seconds off a of 5k time, you need specifics for that. You know, you're not gonna do with just the low hanging fruit. So when we highlight these things via data that they can see on a screen, it makes their problem tangible or it makes the goal tangible. So that when we do after that, once we have the data, we go test other things. This is the range of motion testing, nerve testing, strength testing to confirm our findings. And at that point, which probably takes the better part of an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. At that point, we know without any shadow of a doubt why that person is experiencing what they're experiencing. And that clarity for a runner that has you know, these running plans and has working with a running coach and nutrition coach and all these other things to have such clarity from a biomechanical standpoint what the problem is, allows them to save so much time, so much energy, worry, frustration that they're spending their time on the wrong thing. So that in that session, we can then start treatment, give them a quick win, use some technology to start figuring out the problem and start getting on the right track. And then finally, we lay out an action plan where we tell them, this is your diagnosis. This is the data that shows exactly why it's happening. This is our plan of exactly what we're going to do with you at each session, and this is how long it's going to take. And I wish I could uh, share it via video, but if you could just take a picture of their face, it's like you took like the elephant off their shoulders, that they're like, wow, Like now I have clarity about what I need to do. So, So that process is very important for runners that are, <laughs> they have Garmin Apple Watches, they're very data-centric. When you have a data-related practice and you can give clarity to them, it's really eye-opening and it gives them a lot of peace of mind.
0: Absolutely. That's fantastic. So um, what is... What is your your biggest pet peeve when people come to you and say, "Yes, I've had gate running analysis uh the PTUs, an iPhone or an iPad, and I know exactly what's going on. Why would they want to take another step and have the three dimensional gate analysis with all the data that you mentioned?
1: Yeah, we get that a lot uh, and it's it's one of those things that if you let it you could um you know you can let it get under your skin a little bit that uh you know, they're two very different things. But the thing you have to remember is um, the person in front of you doesn't necessarily know that. I mean, I I was in uh, sports orthopedics for seven, eight years before I even knew what a gait lab was. So uh, I think it's a problem of the the industry that those people that do have these types of labs aren't marketing it enough to provide the education to show them that there is a difference. But what happens is when you have uh, quote unquote, oh, I had my running analyzed nine times out of 10, it's at a shoe store and uh, all credit to them. That's what they know how to do. And they usually have the video camera faced pretty much from like the middle of your thigh down to your foot. Because what they're looking at is do you pronate or not pronate, or do you over pronate quote unquote? Um, that's really what they're looking for to provide you a shoe choice. So the, what I tell them is that that that's the utility of that type of analysis is to highlight what type of shoes you need where the utility of our analysis is to highlight why those things are happening which means you need the whole body and there are just things that the human eye can't see and there are things that even an ipad shooting at 250 frames a second can't see which are things like how much is your knee rotating in or out how much is your pelvis uh, dropping one side to the other these are big body parts that if you're even off a uh, magnitude of five degrees, which is the error ratio in like using an iPad or iPhone and your, eye, your naked eye definitely is way worse than that, you're going to miss those slight nuances that make all the difference. And so to jump to a 3D gate analysis, it, the value is nothing will be missed. There's not a shred of doubt after that analysis that you know exactly in that kinematic chain In your running form, what is either causing you to run slower, what is causing you to use more energy, what is causing you to waste energy uh, going side to side versus going forward, why you might be experiencing pain. That type of 3D analysis gives you peace of mind and clarity where a lot of the other analyses that are out there are versions, lower versions of that where you get pieces of it for one particular purpose, but it's not holistic. And normally when I describe it that way to runners, it's, it provides a lot of clarity about why they should get a 3D analysis. And usually they're like, yeah, let's jump on, let's do it. And it doesn't mean it discredits the, the shoe store. That's still valuable. It's just now they have a higher level of data to make better decisions. And they're considering their holistic being versus just a part of their body.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I feel also that we're doing our patients a huge disservice not providing some kind of three D gait analysis. It's almost like going to surgery and not knowing exactly what's going on with your joint.
1: Yeah, yeah, or like you go, or you go uh, to get your car fixed. It's like ah, uh, it's making this noise, and you basically say, "Well, it's usually this, so why don't we go fix it?" And it's like, "Well, why don't they, like they run a, a diagnostic at the car place that?" you know, costs a hundred bucks and takes like 30 minutes, (laughs) but we, but we as PTs just need a better diagnostic. Like I said, 80% of runners get injured every year. And that hasn't changed in the last 30 years. And I think it's incumbent on, you know, people who call themselves experts to be able to provide that higher level of data so that we don't miss anything. I think there's, um, there's a huge need in the field for, PT to innovate and keep up with the times when your watch can tell you what your vertical oscillation is and it can tell you your cadence, it can tell you your average heart rate, every piece of data you want. A lot of runners may glom onto one or two of those metrics without possibly without really being able to... add all those metrics together to come up with the right solution. And so as running experts, that's where we can come in, use that data plus ours, and now you can give runners a very clear picture. And um, I think it's just incumbent upon us to make sure that our labs and our clinics are keeping up technologically with what's going on out there in the running world.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so we're talking about your your perfect patient, your, your clients that you serve that you serve do you have somebody concrete person in your mind that you can give us an example how you, what you figured out uh, during the initial assessment what the person was dealing with and how you progressed them and did they meet their goals
1: Yeah, so our target client, the people that we find um, we really love working with and we feel uniquely qualified to help is uh, runners usually between the ages of 40 to about 65. These are runners that um, either came to running later in life or have been running for um, their whole life. And they've gotten to the point where uh, all these little injuries that used to go away in a day or two now are staying longer than they would like they usually are seeing some decreased drops in their 5K, 10K half marathon times. And they want to be able to continue what they love to do for as long as possible. And they're having those little birds in their ear that are saying, ooh, maybe you should stop running. Why are you running so much? Running bad, Running's bad for your knees. Running causes arthritis. All not true, by the way, for all you listeners. Uh, runners have less arthritis than everybody else. And running definitely does not cause knee problems. Um, bad running does. Uh, running with poor form for a long time does. But running itself doesn't. So that's, that's our key clientele. And if you're looking for like a specific example, um, I can give you one. There was a, one of my first clients actually, um, she came in and she was a competitive triathlete and she had been dealing with shin splints for years, like three to five years. And she had seen multiple PTs, she had seen a chiropractor, massage therapist, acupuncture, you name it. She had been to it, but she couldn't run over a mile without getting debilitating shin splint pain and it killed her because- Triathlons were, triathlons were such a huge part of her life, and she wasn't able to do them. She had worn a calf sleeve for years. She had tried different shoes. Nothing was working. And so I was like, well, let's do, let's do a running gait. And she was on board. But what we found in the running gait was she had a, a very aggressive overstride. She had a high amount of ankle movement, meaning her toes were up in the air when she landed. And her landing forces were more than twice her body weight. Uh, And those things combined made her shin muscles work so hard during her running that she kept having pain. And she was wearing hokas, these big maximalist shoes, trying to dissipate that force. And I told her, well, eventually I'd like to get you out of those. Uh, And I think your body can do this on its own with some training. So we used real-time feedback, meaning I had her on the treadmill. And our treadmill reads landing pressure. So she could see how hard she was hitting every time she landed. That plus glute work plus alignment, over the course of about three months, she was able to have no shin pain. She ran a half marathon, which she hadn't run in years. And if you looked at her form from day one to the final day, it looked night and day different. And she'll tell you to this day that she like keeps her calf sleeve um, as a remembrance of like how much she dealt with at that time. She doesn't wear it anymore. Um, but that's an example of how uh, we use data and it, particularly real-time data to be able to give her her life back. Um, so that's not that's a story. There's many more like that for different running reasons, but it's just the power of data and how it can change someone's life.
0: That's that's really inspiring. And going back to uh, the topic that you just opened up when you said that, um, saying that. Of running does not cause osteoarthritis, but bad, bad running does. And what we know from the latest research is your articular cartilage needs that cyclical loading to be healthy and to stay healthy. And there was actually a research published recently that they were looking at marathon runners and how the articular cartilage of their knees deformed and then rehydrated after marathon. So... Uh, You bring a really interesting topic because so many patients are saying, oh, I'm past 55, past 60, I should stop running to protect, to save my knees. You should start swimming. But it's actually the opposite. So can you talk a little bit more about the topic of osteoarthritis and master runners and how we can actually prevent the progression and maybe even reverse the cartilage degradation with guided running and loads?
1: Yeah, of course. This is a definitely a, a a topic I love talking about because it's so um, you know the common perception in uh, you know out there in the real world is so different from what the research shows. And you're exactly right. Cartilage is a living structure, if you will, meaning it it doesn't like being on either end of the spectrum. So when you're not moving and the cartilage isn't getting loaded at all. It will begin to degrade, and you will have breakdown of the cartilage. And if you do it too much, if you overly load your cartilage, that will also break down as well. It's it's on a, a U curve basically, where in the apex in the middle, where you moderately load your cartilage, that's the healthiest for it. And there's this new concept out um, probably in the last three years about the concept of cartilage conditioning, that if you sustain an injury, let's say you have a meniscus injury or you have IT band syndrome and you reduce your running for a period of time, what they're finding is there needs to be a reintegration of loading so that the cartilage is ready to handle that loading again, which is where you've seen a big increase in people um, using weighted backpacks or hiking hills to re-add force into their cartilage prior to running again. So that that return to running progression is extremely important after an injury. But for runners, what they found is they, they might hear from their friends, you're right, I would take up swimming or cycling. That's like the, the worst thing for a runner to hear because cycling, for most runners, they consider it super boring unless they're a triathlete. Uh, they don't want to do that. They want to keep running. And so saying, oh, you have grade one or grade two arthritis may seem like a death sentence for running, but it really isn't. They found that runners that were diagnosed with early stage arthritis, when they stopped running or drastically reduced their running, their cartilage damage got worse. And the runners that kept running the mileage they used to were actually able to stave off the progression of their arthritis for much longer. As we know it today, there is no age where running is a bad idea. You can run at any age. And what we have found is that those runners that run later on in life have less incidence of uh, cartilage damage via x-ray, and they have joint replacements at way less of a rate than non-runners. So I think that's an important topic to, you know, break down the misconceptions about. Running, you got to remember when done well, when you're running at the right pace and you're controlling your loading forces, should load your muscles, meaning your quadricep, your hamstring, your glute, your calf... And it shouldn't load your knee cartilage. And that's where working with a running specialist, once you get to that, you know, late 40s, maybe mid 50s age range, and you want to run for as long as possible, when you can reduce your force per step by getting your mechanics as good as they can be, you will preserve your ability to run much longer than if you kept running however you ran before that. Running is a skill. It needs to be practiced. And we've seen runners all the way up to their mid-80s that come to see us that try to improve their form so they continue to run. So I'm definitely here to break down the myth that running has an age it does not. Kids can run. And, you know, there, there's a guy that just broke the 100-meter record. He's like 105 years old. Um, so he's still running fast. Uh, I, think, I think we just need to be cognizant of the fact that humans were designed to be the greatest endurance mammals ever created and uh you were designed to run so keep that in mind
0: That's really important important to understand that um... You know, when you pass your certain age, you don't have to stop running and you, you can continue to be active. And I feel the specific physical therapy that you're providing is really important to get people understanding where they are and when they need to go and how they manage their loads. So, another question is we get a lot of questions from patients about their footwear. And are you able to um, kind of, um, suggest what kind of footwear is good for certain conditions and for a certain type of runner?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, they, the coolest part about the treadmill is uh, it basically tracks every single footfall you take on the treadmill and then it can provides an average uh, of the pressure underneath your foot. So you literally see, you know, it has like blues, greens, oranges, all these colors on it that show you where the most amount of pressure is in your foot. And it also shows you as your body weight moves over your foot, it shows you that line of how it does that. And that can be instrumental in choosing the right type of shoe. It's kind of crazy. We had this one lady has been a client for a long time when the, the, um, the new Nike shoes came out that said, oh, you can have a whatever it is 3 or 4% increase in your performance. We had her try her normal training shoe, then a different shoe, and then we had her try the Nike shoe, and we were able to see that in the Nike shoe she got off her feet faster, spent less time on the ground at approximately 4% difference. So uh, that was kind of cool to see that shoes do matter uh, for that. However, what I will say, and a big old scale... Uh, they've done studies on military recruits primarily. They are a captive audience that have to run a lot, so they're awesome to study. And what they found is the number one and pretty much only correlated factor when it comes to injury risk and shoe choice is does the runner feel comfortable in the shoe? And, uh, that's the only thing that's really mattered. They've done studies where they matched up, they measured your foot arch height and your type of foot, and they matched a specific shoe to it and saw if that decreased injury rates. It did not. Then they did the opposite where they gave you the wrong type of shoe and that didn't make a difference at all. But what they did find is when the run, when the runner complained that the shoe didn't fit or it hurt that substantially increased injury risk. So My caveat to this is when you find a shoe you like, stick with it. And especially, you know, shoes, they change yearly Buy like three pairs of the same one uh, because they're going to change it on you. And it may not feel exactly like this year's model does. Um, So shoe shoe fit and feel number one. But after that, the treadmill 100% can tell you uh, if a shoe is going to affect your performance and also um, can tell you if it changes the pressure underneath your foot. Um, Can make a big difference in that as well
0: right? So there's not really one perfect shoe that's best in the world. The the perfect shoe is the one that fits the the runner the best and they feel comfortable in.
1: Yeah, it seems so simple. And I wish there was a cooler, more techie, detailed million-dollar research answer for you. But to date, uh, at least the research I've read, the really factor that matters more than anything is, does your foot feel good in the shoe?
0: (laughs) Exactly. And that's all the million dollar research is bringing us back to basics. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you as a physical therapist. Um, when the story that you told us, when you talked to your wife, hey, I want to have a biomechanics physical therapy clinic. Did you just jump in and bought all your equipment or how did you, how did you do that? Because that's a big investment.
1: Yeah. So there I'll, I'll take it back to that, that time frame. Like I said, we we're at a baby, uh, you know, expected on the way. Uh, my wife was home, um, taking care of the kids. You know, I worked at another practice and that was our income, uh, was me as a PT. So when I came back and I said, yeah, I want to open a biomechanics lab. She's like, great. Let's talk about it. I was like, well, it's going to be, you know, a substantial six figure investment in technology and I'm going to need a location. And, um, uh, there was a lot of talks at that point about uh, what the timing was going to be. and uh, But what I ultimately decided was, okay, what is what is going to be the best for clients? What What is going to give them the most amazing experience? And it was for me to open up, uh, we call it a gate lab. It's what you would experience at a, un- a university or a research facility. I wanted that availability of technology to the public. And so, yeah, I got, um, you know, found a company that was able to give me a suite of services all in one with force plates and, and all the other tech. And it was a huge investment. And looking back, that uh, was very stressful. Uh, However, it definitely gave me the motivation to say, well, let's make this work. Let's let, let me get the marketing out there, the videos, the education, the workshops to show people that this exists. And there's a, there's a different way to do therapy. So it was, um, yeah, huge, huge, massive investment. That's not the only way to do it. There's other ways where you can add a piece of technology at a time. So if there's people out there interested in, you know, this type of work or being a PT, uh, definitely adding, maybe starting with EMG, uh, starting with one piece of tech, getting good at that. And then adding pieces as you go would definitely be a way to save the initial investment and uh, not, not experience the stress of having to pay back a loan and, uh, you know, all the things that come with opening a business. Uh, I will say for me, though, I'm an all or none type of person. And I would just say, well, if I'm going to do it, let's dive in. And that definitely gave me the, the motivation, uh, the inspiration from desperation, if you will, to, um, you know, make sure I got the news out to the public that it exists and it can make a different experience for people.
0: And you've gotten so good at this now that you mentor other clinicians and maybe somebody who wants to start a running lab clinic uh, can reach out to you and get mentorship from you.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's what I love to do. Again, my soapbox is I feel like this. Uh, technology should be in every clinic. I feel like the future of physical therapy um, to be truly physical and measure movement means you need some data. And so my soapbox is: I'd love to see you know 3D motion sensors, force plates, EMG, instrumented treadmills in every clinic. Uh, that's definitely a huge long-term passion of mine. And if someone else finds that they're passionate about it. Uh, it's a big learning curve, right? So when you add tech to your practice, uh, most of us as PTs, let alone uh, research uh, professionals, they you most likely haven't used 3D sensors or you haven't used EMG. And there's a lot of stuff I messed up at the beginning and a lot of stuff I didn't understand. I tested my mother-in-law and my wife and I asked people off the street, hey, I'll do it for free. Uh, I basically learned by practicing on other people. And, and this is definitely a motor skill. Like you have to get your hands dirty to learn it. But what I found is I can, I've now trained nine different PTs over the years from not knowing anything about how to doing a 3d running gate assessment or sport assessment to being experts themselves. So it's definitely a learned skill. I can significantly count down on the time it takes to learn, but I, I come from it from a state of passion where I believe this is best for our clients. And I believe this is best for the industry that we can take away people's pain while also helping them live amazing lives, where they hit goals that they didn't even think were possible because we're unlocking potential within their being. That is a huge passion of mine. So, if anybody's interested, I'm I'm more than happy to help out and, and make sure that this gets in as many offices as possible.
0: Yeah, and that goes with the trends in physical therapy world. Um, I mean, twenty years ago, we were treating pain and the pain generator, and where physical therapy professions coming these way?s these days is really looking at the person as a whole and working towards their goals, whatever the goals might be. And um, maybe I can ask you as a physical therapist that you've been in a profession for some time, where do you see these trends to go? Uh, What do you see physical therapy profession to become in five or 10 years, especially in the running world?
1: Yeah, awesome question. Uh, I think it's a cool time to be in the rehab professions. There's a big interest in longevity and, you know, your health span, quote unquote, not necessarily your lifespan, not necessarily how long you live, but how well you live. Are you able to have more good days than bad days? Are you able to maximize your ability to challenge your limits? Do you even, you know, know what your limits are. I think this is what The rehab professionals are going to answer in the future. Instead of being seen as an ancillary profession, being seen as transactional, oh, I hurt my ankle, I need rehab, or I had surgery, I need rehab. Instead, I see rehab professionals being the go-to provider. They're easier to get to. They spend more time with you. They understand your full history. They're able to really look inside of how you move. If you really look at it, to get real nerdy, the human brain, the vast majority of it is designed for movement. It's designed for us to get food, to procreate, to stay alive, to run away from prey—all uh, that stuff. The brain is designed for movement, and the more uh, we learn about it, the more we realize how important movement is for life. Helps you better sleep, helps reduce your stress, helps with weight management, helps you feel confident, helps you with relationships. The list goes on. I see rehab professionals moving from something that's so transactional into helping people live well and helping people. Manage whatever comes from them as life goes on, whether it be a small uh, little niggle in your quad or a huge back injury. It doesn't matter. Your PT is your go-to provider to help you live a healthy and fulfilled life. And especially if you add data and technology, there is a vast amount of unlocked potential or, or locked potential inside of people that once you unlock it, the amount of change it can make in somebody's life to crush goals that they didn't think were possible, to break through plateaus, to hit PRs they thought were out of reach, to feel amazing later on in life when all their friends are deteriorating. There's there's so much value there that movement and being able to truly analyze and unlock movement can play in the world. And frankly, I'm jazzed up. I'm super excited to see what happens. There's new tech all the time. But even more than that, there's PTs seeing themselves as way more than just someone who gets someone out of a injury. It's about living well and living long and living an amazing life.
0: You said it so wonderfully, Kevin. That's great. So if you look at your own career, maybe when you got out of physical therapy school, what kind of advice would you give your young Kevin um, just starting in physical therapy profession?
1: Yeah, I've I've thought about this a lot actually, um, because I think you know as you gain experience you somewhat like have amnesia about what it was like back when you started, and you have to take some time to think about it because it is a different. It is you were a different being, like the Kevin that I was when I started my PT career in 2008, as a different Kevin than I am now, and uh, I think that's the benefit of you know having hindsight. I would say looking back, what I felt I did well was I put myself in a clinical environment where I was the least smart person. I found a clinic that was well outclassed me in what they knew about research and movement and helping people. Um, I, I intentionally made myself uncomfortable and I think that was a key to a lot of how I've learned what I've learned and gained the knowledge I have as I was relentlessly curious. I think when you come out of PT school, you're like, man, I'm, a, I'm king of the world. Like, I know everything. I just passed this test that's told me that I'm amazing. Uh, and then you start to realize, uh, actually, I, I don't know a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of experience I don't have, and there's a lot of things I don't know as well as I should. I don't have the experience of age to show me, you know, how my body's going to change and how it's going to feel inside of me. So I, I think there's a huge component of just be curious. Read a ton of research. Don't shy away from it but read it and then put it into practice. Don't just be a consumer, be a doer. Um, I think I would give myself that advice. Like I have read a lot of research, but then I just moved on to the next piece to read or the next book to read. It should be read that piece of research, try it on the next 10 clients. Read this next piece of research, try it on the next 10 clients. Get Don't shy away from feedback. Um, I know uh, feedback can be overwhelming for some people and can be scary, but the more I've made myself uncomfortable by asking for feedback, the more I've learned. And that comes also with being around professionals that know more than I do. Um, My goal now is to always be the dumbest person in the room. How can I be around experts and, you know, experts in marketing and experts in running and experts in return to sport testing? I just learned so much from that. And back then, I think I had too much hubris of thinking I knew everything. And so, yeah, be curious, be tenacious about research. Definitely uh, practice what you're reading. Surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Um, and then when the time comes, when you're ready, when you feel like you have um, some wind in your sails, you feel like you're, you are you have that entrepreneurial drive and you're like, hey, I have this idea. Nobody else is doing it or, or people are doing this but not doing as well as I think it could be done. When you have that inkling and you have the type of personality that wants to go out and change something, just don't think too hard about it and just go out and do it. <laughs> because if you think too hard about it, you won't make the decision. Just pull the trigger. Deal with the good, the bad, the the difficulties, the struggles, because um, really life happens in the weeds. Life happens at the end of your comfort zone. So just commit and do it. And I think you're going to learn a ton from it. So I think if I look back, that would be my my advice to myself um, about how yeah. I could have maximized the early part
0: of my career. Yeah, that's great. And like you said, it's so well, because we are so timid about jumping into the next big things because the idea might be too big. Um so, finally, my final question is, you've built your beautiful practice in California. Where do you see your practice going in about five to ten years? Where do you want to be?
1: Oh, it's always so fun to think about. Uh, I think there's um, a huge value in dreaming big and thinking about what what could it be if there were no uh, no barriers, if there were no limits, and you know, for a long time, i've I've known what we've done at our clinic with the tech we've added, but even more than that, the training we've put behind the tech, the training for staff, the way we run our staff meetings and our weekly staff training and development, um, it's been best for our clinicians and best for our clients. And we've seen that in the results they've gotten, how fast people have gotten better, the longevity they've been able to get in their sport. I, I would love to share that with the world as much as possible. So I have the podcast, I've written my book. I'm putting out YouTube content now, free content on YouTube to educate the world about reducing running injuries. My personal mission is to take that 80% risk of uh, getting injured in a given year and reduce it substantially. Uh, So a big thing for me is education. But for my practice, we are hoping to open a lot of locations in our local area. Uh, there's a huge need in the Bay Area. There's a ton of active people here. Uh, so I would love to rinse and repeat what I'm doing to really influence and help as many people as possible. And then once we learn that model, be able to share it um, you know, for free, give out knowledge to other people around the country to do the same thing. Learning biomechanics is a big, steep hill, and making it accessible and fun and easy to understand is also difficult. I want to share that as much as possible because I think the world needs it. I think our runners need it. And um, I would love to be, and my staff would love to be a part of that change and a part of that education that takes an industry and much need to change and innovates and is a part of that journey.
0: Yeah. So it's so great to have you in the PT profession. Uh, Fantastic. So um, where can people find you? Uh, You, you, Told us that you wrote the book. You have a podcast. Would you share your information, and then uh, would people be able to the to touch base with you somehow?
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. So um, my book, uh, The Running Blueprint, is available on Amazon. Uh, you can check that out. It's great for runners who are looking to understand running biomechanics better. Even great for practitioners too. Also offers um, you know a pathway of specific exercise and training to improve your running skill. For those clinicians who are interested in biomechanics, want to learn more about tech, want to learn more about my business journey and what I've learned, my lessons and failures, my podcast, The Business of Biomechanics, is worth checking out. Uh, you can find me, uh, Kevin Vandy PT, on Instagram, and then YouTube channel uh, is Competitive Edge PT, a bunch of free education. You can also email me, Kevin at CompEdgePT.com. Uh, I love helping out. Don't be shy. Uh, I love questions. Feel free to reach out about anything. And uh, yeah, be glad to be there and, and be part of the change and be part of the process.
0: Great. Well, that was 49 minutes pretty much um, just talking about by. running biomechanics. <laughs> I know, very well spent time. And I thank you so much for joining us here. And uh, we'll put all the information in the show notes for people to be able to reach you. And um, thank you. and have a great rest of your day.
1: Thanks, Suzanne. I appreciate being here.